It's been a long week, but welcome back to the United Podcast. We had to have a little break because the season just ended. And what a season it was, Tom. Well, I don't know. Was it a good season or a bad season? When we were preparing for the podcast, I was trying to think. Like So many people had opinions of, oh, it was a failure or was it a successful season. I'm not quite sure, but maybe at the end of the podcast, we'll maybe have a clearer idea if it was a good season or a bad season. Absolutely. Look, I, I just, we, we sort of got into this with Rob last week, didn't we? I think it's... You can't give a black and white answer to something that is grey. I don't think you can define a season based on one game or one trophy. There are many reasons a season should be successful and it should be taken into context. You know what? If you're a Manchester City fan, you're probably calling the season a success. But all in all, you're probably feeling a little bit empty because the expectation is that you should be winning the league. So, you know what I mean? I think it just comes down to the team and where you're at. But, of course, we will get into it. So, what will we cover today? We're not going to cover transfers. So if that's what you've tuned in for, I'm really sorry to disappoint you. But there will be three months worth of that. So we thought, let's review the season. Let's go through what's been the highlight, what's been a low light, who's been the most improved player. I think that could be up for debate. Who's been a disappointment of the season might be a little bit controversial there. And then we will finish, of course, with who is crowned the 3-2-1 Pubcast champion. Who won it last season? By the way, that's a very good question. Um, I'm sure one of the listeners will know. That's that's your cracking question. I don't know. Um, my guess would be, was it Martial? I can't recall. I feel like it was Martial. Bruno got must have gotten there. close. Well, he got player of the season from United, so um, I assume he would have been in and around there. Maguire, maybe. Yeah, that's a good question. Someone can delve into the archives and find out for mm. us. I'm a bit too lazy at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. It's getting late. For those of you who aren't familiar with the three two ones, it's not going to line up the way you'd see a player of the season. The way we do it is, after every single United match, three points goes to the most influential player on the pitch, two points and then one point for, you know, who's been the, the three best players, essentially, three points being the highest point. So we're not necessarily looking at who's been the most consistent, but who's been the most influential in the games that they have played. And I think that that's a quite unique way to take a t- to. Uh, take a perception on how a football match has been or has taken place I should say all right Tom let's not waste any more time let's rip straight into it and I guess I should start with what was your highlight of the season I don't know there's been a few um I think right at the start of the season one and look it's not the I'll get into a few sort of different moments it's not one that I'm definitely going to pin my hat and say this is the best moment of the season because it came in such a Sort of so many people were frustrated at the time, but a moment that I think almost it does go under the radar and sort of goes down in history, not just Man United history, but Premier League history, was I think it was the second game of the season against Brighton, where we were so poor, we were beyond bad. Brighton should have scored six or seven goals, and it was mm. 2 2, and we got that penalty right on full time where the referee blew the full time whistle. And then obviously the correct decision was made. He had to go to VAR and saw there was a handball during the play. And um, we got that penalty and Bruno Fernandes scored a, I don't know, what was it, 97th or 99th minute penalty to win the game after the full-time whistle. And look, yes, we're going to get into other moments and sort of more important moments. But that is the moment I remember at the at the time that went in, I felt we just won the league. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was a surreal moment, wasn't it? And But we were literally living through history. It's not something that you see every day. In fact, it was the first time it's been done in football's 130-odd year history. So, yeah, it, it was phenomenal. And you know what? It just typifies Bruno Fernandes. That, isn't it funny? And I don't want to 
detract too much from where we're going with this podcast. But there's always that player who, once they come to United and... There's one thing. Have you noticed good players get beaten with a stick when they're good at penalties? We saw it with the Ronaldo-Messi debate, Pessi and Pinaldo. Like, scoring a penalty under pressure, bloody hell, it, it takes bottle to do it. It's not easy. Well, that's one of the things. In terms of the goal-scoring record, which we'll definitely discuss when sort of Bruno's name inevitably comes up in the player of the season sort of votes. But we look at this record-breaking season. He said, was it 28 goals? And you compare that to Frank Lampard, who that's a sort of one of the greatest seasons anyone ever remembers of Frank Lampard, and rightly so. But the big criticism in terms of when you compare the two, the Bruno and Lampard season, everyone says, oh, well, Bruno, it's all about penalties. Well, Lampard actually scored more penalties in that record-breaking season, or the, the record-breaking at the time. Bruno's obviously broken it. And, um, yeah, it's needless because, okay, yes, there are penalties in there. But as you say, you take that penalty after full time, could you imagine what you're feeling? Um, the nerves are sort of unrivaled. So it, it's a huge skill to have. And Bruno has shown that it's worth a lot of points this season. I'm sure someone has the stats on how many points the penalties did win, eventually win us in terms of important goals. And look, I'm sure Bruno has sort of won maybe, I don't know, 15, 18 points on this season based on penalties. Yeah, well, you know what? Bruno needs to see a specialist because that guy must not feel any of his nerves. He's seriously got ice running through his veins. One penalty missed all season. Phenomenal by the Portuguese. But, Tom, that was an interesting moment. I think for me, I'm actually going to go... I might get beaten for this. Um, The RB Leipzig match. I think that... Yes, it was in the Champions League, and the way we whimpered out um, so poorly was disappointing. Of course it was. But in the moment of the football game, and in the context of where we were in the group stages after that, I was feeling really optimistic. And if you recall at that point, United had in different form in terms of the Premier League as well. And you felt after Marcus Rashford hat-trick, after coming off on the bench, mind you, um, it just it felt like such a good game. And I think that's where we went into the Arsenal match and then lost. But I just remember feeling in the moment, you felt, you know, this could have been a catalyst for a phenomenal season. Of course, it wasn't that. But I just think that was my moment. I think that was a really feel-good um, game to well, just, watch just and be a part that of. was the PSG game, the first game of the Champions League. And obviously, the Leipzig and PSG doesn't have a happy ending the way it finishes in the return legs or the last games in the group. But those first two games, the second one being the Leipzig, but also the first one away in Paris. Mm. Very similar. Well, I wouldn't say very similar, but in terms of the importance almost that we all remember the Rashford penalty in Solskjaer's first season. But this victory in Paris was very different because that that one with the Rashford penalty um, when Solskjaer first came in was lucky. We were backs to the wall. We were hanging on. We were hanging on. And out of nowhere, get a lucky penalty in the last minute of the game. Where this one was very, the game plan was direct. The game there was a clear game plan for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He doesn't get any credit for. I assume Tuchel was the manager then. If Tuchel beat him, it would have been Solskjaer can't manage against the big managers. But Solskjaer had a plan, and United deserved to win in Paris. While Paris dominated the play a lot of the time, I thought United clearly deserved to win that game. And obviously a great goal by Rashford, obviously another Bruno Fernandes penalty. I think he had to retake the penalty in that one, so yeah. another one for his haters. But um, yeah, I thought that first those first two weeks in the Champions League, obviously it didn't turn out well. But um, I remember at the start when the draw was made for that group. We're in, this, we're in the Champions League in the group stage with last season's semi-finalists and the finalist. 
Some football trivia for you. I wonder if it's ever been done where, in the case of Thomas Tuchel, has a manager ever managed one side and then managed another side and then gone on to win the Champions League? That is bonkers. Sacked with one club and won it with another in the same season. Um, Yeah, quite amazing. Absolutely. All right, Tom, let's go into the low light of the season. Well, hang on. I haven't got to my highlight of the season. I've still got to rattle off about six highlights. Mate, it it was highlight of the season. You had one. You chose Brighton. We well, have I'm to move on. Again. I'm choosing again, and it has to be include the number six. Well, I just said six highlights. The Leeds match, beating Leeds 6-2. Um, I know the performance, sort of, there was little sort of hairy moments. Even when you're 6-2 up, it looked like Leeds were going to score five goals. But they waited so long to get that chance to play us at Old Trafford in the Premier League. And for Scott McTominay just to crush their dreams inside three minutes... I still that is the highlight of the season for me, without doubt. Yeah, bloody hell! How did I forget the Leeds game? You know what? That game, the only thing it was missing was a packed crowd. I think that's what the only that's probably why I've forgotten it. Um, it's just it, it just it's just been a weird season, hasn't it? Without the crowds, so well, there's so many like the, the nine nil against Southampton. I think the the away yeah, bloody like, hell, forgot it completely. Like the not away even performance at the Etihad where we beat them two nil, like the PSG game. We clearly deserve to win that 2-0. I thought, well, fantastic. And again, that's we'll get into Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the criticisms around him. But he's gone away to Tuchel and beaten him. He's gone away to Pep and beaten him. And not just lucky wins. He's gone there with a game plan and deserved to win. And, um, yeah, look, there are plenty of lowlights which we'll get into. But, um, yes, and definite highlights for me. But if I was to pick one, if you're playing a game and uh, it's one highlight, Leeds. I think that first three minutes where Scott McTominay got himself on a hat trick... And I think he almost he got a chance about six or seven minutes in as well for the hat trick, and he couldn't take it. So um, yeah, that's a definite one for me. Yeah, I think that was uh, anyway. I'm I'm actually I was gonna say something, but I won't ruin it. Uh, Tom Lowlight of the season. Look, oh, look, losing the final, the Europa League final. I think that's the obvious answer. I think that's the correct answer, but that has been a lot. And um, you sort of say the highlight, those two first Champions League games, I think it all went downhill in that third game. Was it the third game or the fourth game um, we lost in Turkey? Uh, we, we batted them at Old Trafford, but the, the game in Turkey, whether that was the third or the fourth, I can't quite remember. But it wasn't so much the performance or the result that happened. Sometimes you play bad and sometimes you get a bad result. That happens. I've got no issue with that. Mm. The low light that really stands out for me, and it really springs to mind every time I think about it, is that first goal where we have 10 players attacking a corner and left absolutely no one back. They clear the ball, and Demba Bar has the freedom of Turkey to run in, and I think it was Dean Henderson in goal, um, just slots it past him. And I just remember when the camera panned, when Istanbul cleared the ball, I was thinking, oh my God, where is everyone? What is happening? And ultimately, that cost United their Europe. We talk about United not taking those points, not getting a draw in the last two games. Mm. That wasn't the issue. I think PSG and Leipzig... You could easily argue you're better teams than United. So I've got no issue with losing games to them. It was that game in Turkey and ultimately that sort of attacking set piece, which cost us. Yeah, and I think that's a very obvious candidate. Um, I'm actually going to choose Leipzig away. Um, And the reason I say that is because considering what you would have had to think, like in terms of the mental demons, when you batter a side 5-0, that should do some sort of dampering, but just the naivety in which United played, like the instant ball game, I sort of, while the defending was laughable, um, I, you can almost excuse it because United were in such a comfortable position at the time, the Leipzig game and what was a must win match, 
the way we started, didn't we concede a goal within the first five minutes? And Wambasaka probably had his worst game in a United shirt that game. Um, the the lad from Manchester City, I forget his name, uh, the the wing back. He yeah, Angelino. Angelino, he was tearing Wambasaka apart down the down the left there, and yeah, just United just never got going in that game. And I just thought for a must win match, you can and you know what you can talk about the Europa League final. It all stems from that football match. So, yeah, I mean, definitely take your, take your point on Istanbul. I think, for me, that's a solid second. But I just think the Leipzig game, given it was a must-win, I just really didn't like the lack of application in that match. It, uh, I'll tell you another it, low light, which oh, I didn't write down, but it just sprang to mind then, which yeah. we have, I think the whole fan base almost forgot about. And maybe, luckily, I think it was on the eve or the, the same day or et cetera of the transfer window closing when we signed Edison Cavani. But the 6-1 to Spurs... Um, that it has been wiped from a lot of people's memory, but you lose 6-1 at Old Trafford to whoever, but let alone a big club, or let's say a big club in Tottenham. Obviously, Jose Mourinho was in charge at the time. But mm. the feeling after the game, after we lost 6-1, that was a, look, obviously going to be a bad feeling, but that one really did sting. And there were a lot of questions asked after that one. You know what? I actually didn't take it that badly. And I, I think it was only because you could see that this United side was well off the pace at the start of the season. But once that match rhythm got back in, we, you know, we, we did get going. And it just shows trophies aren't won in August. Weren't Tottenham going to win the league? Look where they ended. So, yeah, that was an interesting one. All right, Tom, let's go back on a positive spin. That's the thing. Like The way we're doing this podcast is how it works on a night out. You get tipsy, you start sobering up, you drink again, you're buzzing again. This is how this podcast is going to go. So let's go back to a positive point, Tom. Who's your most improved player of the season? I was thinking about this, and I think, look, I'm sure you'll have the same answer, um, and it probably is the right one, but maybe dissect it a little bit. I think everyone will say Luke Shaw. And while I agree, I think if you're handing out a most improved award, yeah, for me, it would be Luke Shaw. However, I look at it and think, well... Has he really improved that much? There's, he's done nothing this season, which I said, oh, geez, that's new. He's improved that area of his game. It's hmm. always been the same player. I think this time, and look, it's part of improving, of course, the execution and the consistency, that is part of improving. But that's what it is. He's just been consistent and doing the right things. He's always had that in his locker. He's added nothing to his game. He's not improved in this area or that area. He's just been fit and he's been consistent and he has been... Like intent of like he's had that sort of attack and intent to do the right thing, and um, Luke Shaw obviously deserves huge credit for that. But I think a major sort of hurdle in his um, development at Manchester United has been the managers he's been under in terms of Louis Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho. And while Luke Shaw does deserve all the credit, I think a lot of the credit has to go to Solskjaer. There you go, Solskjaer, most improved player of the season, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? Solskjaer has improved as a manager. I would say. I think. For all the criticism we give him, I think the Norwegian, as he goes on throughout his United tenure, I think we can definitely say there's been improvement in the way he's managing games and so forth. He's learning on the job, the the, the manager. Um, but anyway, let's not deter too much. But yeah, I think Shaw's an obvious one. Tom, you, you might criticize me on this one. I, that's not actually who I had in mind. Go on, please tell I actually wanted to nominate Scott McTominay. Um, and the reason for that is because I know he's... In my opinion, unfairly been lopped in with Fred and we've been just calling them McFred as if they're a, you know, McDonald's mega meal. But Scott McTominay as an individual footballer has actually improved. And if you actually look at his goal return, 
it's 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 upwards an upward trajectory season on season. I think he had something like seven or eight goals this season. Um, I, yes, I know two of those came in the Leeds game. But you look at the way he's playing. There's much more forward pass. If you look at the statistics, there's much more forward passes in the final third than there was on the previous season. I don't know where Scott's ceiling is, but he's improving. Season like he keeps improving, and you know what? He's twenty four years of age. I know we've said maybe he's not good enough to be starting in United's eleven to win a title, and I still maintain that. But that's right now. That's not to say that in two or three seasons' time he couldn't he couldn't be that player. Look, I'm a huge fan of Scott McTominay. A lot of people know that, and yeah, he definitely has improved. And whether improved or I think he's just I think it's just the natural progression. I think he's just developing as a footballer, and. Um, Look, there are criticisms in in terms of his performance, especially when you compare him to what we want in terms of if we want Paul Pogba, a prime Paul Pogba, okay, there's no comparison. The the ability on the ball is a different ball game. Mm. But I've seen in games where, like the Europa League final, where Paul Pogba wasn't on it. You you look to Scott McTominay and you think, well, okay, if they're both both not playing well, well, Scott McTominay will give you that energy. But Scott McTominay probably wasn't having a great game but he was shown far more quality than Paul Pogba. So I think we have to go back to Scott McTominay and think, okay, while he does have limitations, he's probably a far better footballer than we do give credit for. And I always go back to the first season under Solskjaer where we lost 1-0 in the first leg to Barcelona at Old Trafford. And you just have to go through that Barcelona. You just have to mention the name Barcelona and can imagine the quality of footballers they have on the pitch. Mm. But I remember that game and thinking the best player on that pitch in terms of football and ability, not football and ability, but who displayed the best football on that pitch was Scott McTominay in that game. And any player who steps onto a pitch with the likes of Lionel Messi and co, if you prove to be the best, if you perform at sort of a higher level than anyone else, you have to have something about you. So I think while we sort of, it is obvious to sort of look at sort of limitations McTominay has with his ability... We do need to give him far more credit than we do, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you're not going to see me debate it. I just told you, he's the most improved player. The only reason I'm not saying Luke Shaw, and I know that that's an obvious one, I've just agreed with all the points that you're making, mate. It's just to say that Shaw's always been capable of this. His output's improved, but I don't think as an actual player he's improved. And I don't want to sound like a, like a cynical moron here, but if you think of what Luke Shaw was actually doing under Van Gaal in that second season before his leg break, it's what he's doing right now. He's just actually reproducing form that we have already seen and what we know he can do. In fact, he's shown these glimpses at Southampton. Is this his best form, like runner form in his career? Absolutely. Undoubtedly. But I don't think he's producing anything that comes as a surprise to us. He's always been capable of this. When I talk about improvement, I think McTominay is showing levels in his game that I actually didn't think he was capable of. And yes, there is still a level of improvement to go there. But I'm just saying, if you think of the player who was introduced under Jose Mourinho compared to the one we see now, I think that Scott, the Scott has improved leaps and bounds. Yeah, no, look, I absolutely love the guy. I've got a flag made for him. It hasn't arrived yet. We're hoping it was going to arrive for the supporters club before the Europa League final. Oh, look, less said about that, the better. But um, yeah, look, I absolutely love him. And I'll get your thoughts, it's completely off topic, but just on McTominay, let's say, and look, I don't want to admit it, but let's say in a month's time, one Matt is no longer a Man United player. It's a, it's a big shirt in Man United's history, the number eight shirt. Can you see Scott McTominay potentially wearing the number eight shirt or do you think that might go to Bruno Fernandes? 
Uh, I think it will go to Bruno. And the only reason I say that is if you look at the Portuguese, his he, social media, his marketing brand, it's all around the number eight. I, I think that's a natural transition to the Portuguese, but that's not to say, but look, you know what? McTominay, number 39, he's need to, he needs to sort that out. Surely. <laughs> he's no frills. And you know what? That's why Roy Keane says, I like his haircut. I reckon Roy Keane likes the fact that McTominay wears number 39. Oh yeah, no, there's a part of that, and look, I think he might be the type of player who he'll stick with that. Um, he obviously made his debut win it. He might just be one of those numbers, and yes, look, I would just like to see, as you say, when you see sort of a player progress, you want to see them almost rewarded with a sort of so-called better number. But um, if he's happy with thirty-nine, that's great. But I would like to see him um, with, let's say, a first-team number. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, Tom, I think. Oh, poor bloke. I feel like this is going to be an easy one. Who's been the disappointment of the season? Oh, look, look, the answer, look, we'll get into Fred, I'm sure. However, <laughs> before, before we get into Fred, I'll throw it to you because a lot of our listeners will sort of maybe want to direct this towards you. And mm. I wouldn't agree because he, he wasn't as bad as people made out. But in terms of expectations and numbers, which ultimately, especially numbers, you're going to be judged on. Oh, poor the Donnie. injury laid on. But Anthony Martial. Oh, what? I thought you, I was waiting for Van der Beek there. Well, look, look, look I completely forgot about Van der Beek. Um, you can almost throw him <laughs> He's in played there. that little that we've forgotten him. But just on Martial, and, and forget the injury, his performance is actually were never that bad. It's just in terms of those clinical chances he missed. You look at the one against Paris, the open goal. If that goes in, we're still in the Champions League, ultimately get knocked out. Mm. And obviously not blame it all on him, but those are critical moments. And yep. he was scapegoated a little bit, but um, he is one of those players where you see body language, and I don't like to read too much into it, but when Rashford's having a bad game, look, Marshall, he works harder than Marcus Rashford. The numbers prove that in terms of the distance covered, the sprints covered. But when you're watching on TV, Rashford looks like he's doing more work. Marshall, Marshall does look lazy in terms of the body language and the way it comes about. Mm. And it definitely didn't help him because ultimately, as a striker, which he was given that responsibility... While I thought his performances, well, they weren't great, but they weren't horrible, ultimately he wasn't scoring goals. And you're going to be judged on that, and rightly judged. And I don't know how many goals. He only scored a handful of goals. He scored seven. Ultimately, it was a failure of a season for him. Going yeah. from player of the season the year before. Yeah, seven goal return isn't great. But I also would say, look, I'm going to defend him. I don't, I don't think we expected anything less here. Look, he's been poor. I can't defend that. But in saying that, I think if he remains fit, I dare say that he he obviously would have scored more than that seven goal return. It always looks worse at the end of the season without context. He, we have to remember, he didn't play a game after February. So that's three months of football he ultimately missed. Um, and I think if you're, if you're looking in terms of what he's capable of producing. You look at that Europa League final, I, I dare say a game like that was crying out for an Anthony Martial. Um, yes, the goals weren't there and I can't defend him on that. And I, I really hope he gets his head down and gets back to what he can produce next season. And you know what? I can't debate it. He's, he's definitely a candidate for disappointment of the season, given what he did do last season. Um, I put I put it to you though, uh, Donny van der Beek. Um, something like four starts in the Premier League this season. Very small, he, big money signing, really. Um, came in for £35 million. Pounds. He, he was really poor. He, 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 all right, sorry, I'm going to uh, rewind that. I, not I poor, his, his but not great. His were never actually that poor, in my opinion. It was, like you say, you have to look at the end of the season with a little bit of context. 
I think when we, we look at the signing, we look at the expectations, we look at what we want from him, that, that just the whole package, the, the socialised treatment of not socialised treatment of him, but socialised use of him, mm. I think everything encapsulated together, it's a huge disappointment. I don't think that, and Donny van der Beek does need to take responsibility, but I'm not laying it all on Donny van der Beek's doorstep. Yeah, that's fair. I take that point. Well, can you make that same defence for Martial, though? Could you not say that the season started slow, the red card happened against Tottenham, that dented his confidence, and then it just the lack of finishing ability? Because, like, you know what? If you're going to talk about disappointment of the season, you said, you said yourself, Martial's performances actually weren't that bad. His goal return was. Well, you know what? You want to talk about disappointments? Can we please talk about Fred? I know he had some games where, yes, he was unreal in terms of his output, but bloody hell, mate. There were also some games where I just wanted to pick him up and throw him out of Manchester. He is one where, look, and I don't want to go too, too hard on him, but he is one where we have always put Fred and McTominay in the same category. We have discussed them as one entity sort of thing. But you do look at it in terms of the way their sort of individual paths have progressed this season. And while they're almost very similar and very different in sort of the same aspect, McTominay has shown, okay, we can move forward. There's some, there's some pro- progression under McTominay. We can see a future where McTominay can be a squad member, a pivotal part of a successful Man United. Mm. If McTominay leaves, can you see Fred taking that same path? And I'm not quite sure. I think Fred will just be one of those players we look back on in, in 10, 15 years' time and go, oh, God, you remember that Fred guy who played in the middle for us those couple of seasons? Oh, I think he'll be remembered as a real, not a flop in a bad way, like a Sanchez or a Di Maria type thing, but just, a, oh, God, he was never good enough, was he? Yeah, I take that point. And you know what's bonkers? He came in for fifty million pounds. Who made that decision? Seriously, craziness. But anyway, we've uh, we've criticised three players. I think they're our top nominees. Who who are we giving the disappointment of the season mantle to? Well, the disappointment on a whole. Again, the whole package would be Donny Van der Beek, but I wouldn't I wouldn't label that all on him. And you just said there, Fred, and sort of you, you almost you didn't make an excuse for Martial, but you said sort of things didn't quite go his way when we're discussing the comparison with him and Donny van der Beek. But it's Donny van der Beek's first season in English football. Anthony Martial's been here since 2015. It's 2021 now. And I think Anthony Martial almost has a little bit of that Jesse Lingard vibe where a lot of people still think he's a young player coming through. Where look in my he's twenty five, he bloody hell! Yeah, yeah, in my opinion, he is still a young player. Yes, but in football years, he's been here for a while now. In a couple of years, he's sort of reaching testimonial testimonial territory. So, um, for me, look, I like him, and the treatment he got this season was sort of over the top, in my opinion. But ultimately, striker goals numbers win games like that. Martial was probably the biggest disappointment for me, and that is no by no means me saying get rid of him I think he, has, he deserves another chance I think we're a far better team with him in the te- far better team when he plays especially on the left compared to Marcus Rashford and I, I feel stupid for saying that because Rashford scored so many goals this season but I think you do look at the Europa League final and what type of play do you want there as you say look who knows um, how the game would have panned out it's very easy in hindsight but I do say we win that with Anthony Martial but um, ultimately if I have to put my hat on it he probably would be my disappointment of the season. Oh, bloody hell. Tony, I'm so sorry, mate, but I can't defend this one. Tony Martial, disappointment of the season. All right, well, what everyone's come here for, we're about to hit the 30-minute mark on this podcast time, and I think that's the sweet spot. Let's um, let's build up to it, okay? I'm going to start with our top three in terms of the three two ones. 
Okay, so you obviously know who's won. I obviously know who's won. But let's start with third man. And I guess for those listening at home, I want to see what you agree with. Actually, I will go to, I'll go through the top five, I think, because that's where the most interest will be in terms of who's there. So we'll start with who came fifth. Edison Cavani on 26 points. Um, On reflection, fair to say he started slow, but in saying that, finished strong. Yeah, he almost feels like he was almost like a January signing. Like, obviously, he wasn't signed for the first couple of games of the season. Then I think when he came in, was there, did he have COVID or was there a quarantine issue? Or he, had a, he had to isolate, yeah. Yeah, but he did sign and then it, it didn't quite happen. Then he was in and out of the team for a little bit. He's, I think there was a, he made like his first 10 appearances or something. There was only one start or something. So mm. he was in and out and you thought, oh, God's not really going to play. And I thought he was playing well, but... Sort of he was snatching at chances, they weren't quite coming, but you could just sense when he was in and around the box, if the ball was in there, you thought there could be a goal here. And um, he just has that predatory instinct, which um, we need. I think every team needs, but especially what Manchester United needs. And um, he got so much criticism, and wrongly so, at the start of the season when we did sign him. And the criticism should have been directed, if you did want to criticise it, it needed to be directed at the club, not at the player. But I think the player overall... I think he's been ultimately fantastic. And the main thing which we've discussed, it's just been a shame that it's been in front of empty crowds because you saw that chip against on the last day of the season or the second last day of the season, whatever it was, the last day. Yeah, Fulham, yeah. It was second last day, Fulham, that's right. Um, how much that meant to 10,000 people. Could you imagine that was in front of 75,000 every single week in a big Champions League night sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. overall, I'm very, very happy with this season and sort of very glad that he's going to be here next season. Yeah, and, and you know what? If if Edison wants to blame anyone for not being higher up on this ladder, he can blame Ed Woodward because I tell you, the Glazers, they didn't. They signed him on the last day. I'm telling you, he was a free agent. He was there for the taking. I honestly think they just didn't want to pay him his wages for that few months. Anything to save a pound, eh? But anyway, let's move on. Um, coming in fourth place, Marcus Rashford. Um, well, actually, I should say. The top three are on equal points of 26. So Marcus Rashford and Harry Maguire will lump them both in since it's equal points. Um, Have we been harsh in our assessment there? I think that's a reflection of both men's seasons, quite influential in how they've contributed. Well, you cannot knock the contribution of Rashford. And I I always feel bad going in on because I feel I'm overcritical of Rashford. Every time I listen to myself, I think, how can I say this? He's scoring so many goals. He's saving children in the UK. The guy should be knighted. Like, he's... Absolute inspiration, and he'll, he'll go down in Manchester United history, and rightly so. But some of the performances, I just think, almost a little bit of the Bruno Fernandes. He, he's so bad at times, but then he, he grabs your goal, and you think, well, all is forgiven. And rightly so, because goals win games. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, I hate myself when I go too critical on Rashford, but I just see maybe a potential, I don't want to get in a transfer talk, but Jaden Sancho, the quality he brings. When then Anthony Martial plays well, the quality he brings. Rashford doesn't have that, and I don't. That's nothing against Marcus Rashford. He's not that type of player. He he is that sort of impact player who can do things off the cuff. And when he does play off the cuff, he's almost unplayable. You saw that in terms, of, especially that Leipzig game where he scored the hat trick. He wasn't thinking about anything. He was just playing mm. his natural game. It's when we do have that sort of low block um, team, we have to try and break down. You need to be tactically aware of your surroundings. He does somewhat struggle, and um, look, a lot of our players do struggle, but. Ultimately, you look at the goals, it's his best return. He betted last season, I think. Yeah, uh, no, actually. I think he... No, he had 22 goals last season. 
But I think still in and around. I'm sure he's a sister up there in terms of goal contribution. So oh yeah, I, I do look at that, and you have to say, look, he's up there in third in our third or fourth in our player of the year. So he has had a very good season, and yeah, maybe I have to do look back and maybe sort of give him a little bit more credit than I do give him. Yeah, I'm going to throw some criticism at Marcus Rashford, not related to the three two ones, but he came out after the Europa League match. He put out a post, and rightfully so, he highlighted he's had some physical limitations due to injury, and that you know what, maybe that's contributed to his performances this season. But you know what, Marcus, if you're dealing with those injuries, why on earth are you going to the Euros? Just saying, you, you, like he highlights he needs the rest, but then he doesn't give himself an opportunity to have it. So then he's going to come into next season, and if he starts poorly, do we have to rewind back to him right now when we're talking about this relentless pressure he puts on himself? Well, that's the thing. He needs to, We can say, oh, okay, the medical staff should jump in or the manager should jump in. Well, they're not. They're not. You, you can see him playing every single minute, and you can see him not having a preseason, and then you can see him starting the first game of the season next year under Solskjaer. So managers and staff are obviously not sort of taking the situation seriously. Marcus Rashford, for, for his own career, but also England and Manchester United, he needs to take responsibility and say, no, I'm injured, I need six weeks off. And if he doesn't, he's the one who's going to pay the price ultimately. And not, I don't want to say rightly so, he deserves that. But he is old enough now to make a decision to say, hey, I'm not right, I need a break. And hopefully, because he, he, look, he's, he's a very mature young man. He needs to do that. He needs to show that he's a mature young man and make the right decision now. Yeah, I'm with you. But I've got to say, I, I love that Tom, at his prime age of 32, is calling Marcus Rashford a young man. Mate, I'm telling you, you are dead set a 50-year-old stuck in a 30-year-old's body. But anyway, please, let's move on. Um, coming in at second, I think this might be a controversial one. Bruno Fernandes comes second in the United Pubcast rankings. Um, unbelievable season, Tom. 28 goals, 17 assists. Phenomenal from the Portuguese. You know what? Look, we could talk about Bruno forever. I don't think there's anything, and I'm conscious of how long we've been going here. Can I ask you, Bruno Fernandes, do you classify him as a midfielder, or is he more of a false nine? Genuine question. No, he's a midfielder. Um, He obviously can play in that, I wouldn't say that front three or in a number nine position, but he is that player that just plays his own game. He is someone where... Why is the reason I can understand why Solskjaer so often does play two defensive midfielders? Because when you have a player like Bruno, who is so, I want to use this term, sort of ill-disciplined in the in the nicest way possible, he doesn't play tactically aware in terms of shape and everything. He just does his own thing. Most dribbled pass player in Europe. But but, but he's, he's allowed to do that because the numbers he shows up, he can assist, he can score goals. So you have to give them that freedom. Because if you sort of limit Bruno and you say no, do this, do that you'll take away from his natural game, which will sort of limit those goals and assists. So you have to let Bruno do that, and that means you do have to play two defensive midfielders. So you do look at some of Bruno's performances and you think, God, he was quite awful today. Like, he's actually quite bad. Like, he made more passes to the opposition than he did to a red shirt. However, then you look at full-time, and he's got two assists and two goals, and we've won the game. And you think, geez, what would we have done without Bruno? So, yep. um, look, I'm just glad he's on United team. I absolutely love the guy, but he's not exempt from criticism, and definitely not here. He's come second in our Player of the Year awards. But um, he's a weird one in terms of evaluating a performance. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think you know what? It's funny now. It's almost been branded as a Bruno performance when you know, even when we're playing pro clubs, or you look at Marcus Rashford's performances throughout the season, where you've been poor all game, but you managed to pull out a goal. Uh, you've put in a Bruno performance, so I think Bruno should uh, trademark that one. But then you're probably wondering who on earth could have come first if Bruno Fernandez didn't come, didn't didn't win the mantle. Tom, would you please take off the honors? Who is our three two ones podcast champion of the season? Oh, it is. It's that man. If you're doing the maths, it's the one who hasn't been mentioned, and Mason Greenwood. And look, I think after we discuss Mason Greenwood's season, we'll have to get into a discussion of sort of the three two ones and how he actually got there, how he sort of managed to steal it off Bruno Fernandez. But in regards to his performances this season and his development, you can't be sort of prouder of him because at the start of the season he had that sort of issue with England where he went away with England with Phil Foden. Phil Foden escaped all criticism and all the sort of limelight was thrown onto Mason Greenwood. A good friend of his sadly took his own life at the start of the season and that obviously had an effect on Mason Greenwood. His performances then of those those following two months, I thought they weren't bad. They were just the performances of a young player showing a little bit of inconsistency. Mm. But he was heavily criticised for those performances. And then there was an absolute, which we definitely won't get into, but there was an absolute horror story in the press, completely made up. Mason Green was was attached to it, which was a complete lie. Complete the facts that everyone had had absolutely nothing to do with Mason Greenwood, but everyone linked the story to Mason Greenwood, which was a horrific story. But um, obviously nothing to do with that. How that um, came about, I'm not quite sure. But um, thank God that sort of went away. That story never eventuated, did it? They never came out and named a player or anything. Yeah, no. How they glued Mason Greenwood to that, I no idea. He's a Manchester United young player. They were trying to derail his career, obviously. And the saddest thing for that, so many Man United fans jumped on it and sort of said, yeah, no, I, I, know, I, I know the arresting officer. I know this, I know that. So I was very disappointed with a lot of the fans around the world who yep. believed that hype around that story. But enough of that. Let's talk about the positives of his season. But after that, when he got his head down and he started playing and contributing, he is that player that you do look at a Marcus Rashford, you look at a Martial, and they've got these glimpses. But Greenwood has this consistency and sort of no mistakes in his game. Everything he does is the right option. He might not look flashy, but he does the, the right thing by the team, whether that be closing down, whether that be making the right pass or the right dribble or the right shot. And ultimately, his position, he's a finisher. And when he gets that ball in that 18-yard box, you're almost thinking, okay, what foot do you want it on? What corner do you want it in? Because if he gets a sniff of goal, very likely it's going to be a goal. It's not, oh, let's hope he can score here. It's, well, Mason Greenwood's going to score here. Yeah, 100%. Don't have too much to add there. And what, what's key here, and I want to point out, Mason Greenwood finished on 33 points. Bruno finished on 31. I think a major contribution to that, obviously, Bruno was starting to be rested toward the end of the season. And Mason's influence, when he when he did hit that purple patch of form, he just went bang with the goals. I think he was sitting on something like four goals. And then he manages to return 12. So he did have a very rich vein of form toward the end of the season when he did return. And remember that, when the way we do this voting, it's who's been the most influential. And it's to say, I agree with you in, in the terms of Greenwood's not about moments. When he's actually come in, he's put in really good performances. You only have to look as far as the Europa League final. I thought the only players on that pitch who could have walked off with pride were Edison Cavani, Scott McTominay, 
and Mason Greenwood. And bloody hell, he's 19, so I'm very keen to see where his career does take him. Tom, before we, um, I'll just go to some Facebook comments before we wrap it up. Mason Greenwood next season, do you, do you think he'll be deployed through the middle? Where the next season, I'm quite sure. A lot will depend on the Cavani situation and if United buy a striker. I think ultimately he will. And the main reason being is I think Jaden Sancho will um, at some stage arrive. And he's going to take up that right wing position because you just assume Marcus Rashford will keep his spot on the left. And look, Cavani, while we want him to play, and while he is showing no signs of slowing down, you do have to look at his age. And we are going to be in the Champions League, the FA Cup, the League Cup. There is going to be times where Cavani is going to have to sit out, and that is where I think Greenwood will take that centre-forward role. But um, just quickly, I'll throw it back to you in regards to the three two ones. Mm. I think in terms of how close it was at the top, you could almost say we obviously go to three two ones after every single game. And a game I mentioned at the start of the podcast was the 6-1 to Spurs. Now, Mason Greenwood got the three points in that game. So maybe that does sort of clear out a little bit on the player of the season on how we actually do it, that someone had to get points for that game and Greenwood was the best of a bad bunch. But um, it does show that in terms of contribution in individual games, um, Mason Greenwood, which for a young player, sometimes they go under the radar and sometimes games pass them by. But the game never really passed Mason Greenwood by this season. He always stood up and was counted for. Yeah, no debate from me there. And look, we're we're here for the people, you know. We're here. We know that you're you're tuning in. If you have any feedback around the way we do three two ones, we want to hear it. Um, I, I personally think it's great, but you know, we're, we're always open to any feedback or criticism. All right. So before I uh, do wrap things up here, we'll just go to some comments. So initially, and as I say that, I've lost everything that I had open, which is really good. So I'm just going to bring Twitter back up. Tom, while I do that, um, I know it almost sounds like a, a borderline stupid question, but um, with Mason, do you still... Well, look, well, obviously, before you came into the first team, the hype was, you know, this guy, he's got the potential to be a Ballon d'Or winner. Now we've had two full seasons of Mason Greenwood. Do you still maintain that? view? Ultimately, yes. However, I think he's going to struggle in regards to some of his peers. And you look at now so many players, like look at Wayne Rooney, who was always criticised. He was the only player in world football ever criticised for not being as good as Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Every other player was, oh, they're a great player. Rooney was, oh, he's good, but he's not, not as good as those two. And I think what Mason Greenwood potentially will struggle with is he might not reach Kylian Mbappe levels. And obviously Haaland, whether you want... Let's see how Haaland progresses. I think Greenwood's a better footballer than Haaland. I mean, like, purely if you're talking about technical ability. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> look, Haaland's a very sort of polished Lukaku, I think. Um, look, and I'm not criticising Haaland at all. But yeah, Greenwood's a far better footballer, but ultimately, like was said, Andreas Pereira is a better footballer than Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay's better overall. I think Harlan, yeah. the attributes he has, is phenomenal and he's going to be a world superstar. But I think Greenwood might just struggle in regards to if Harlan and Mbappe continue to dominate world football on the world stage, he might struggle there. Because at Man United, you could have a good season, but you might finish sixth or seventh, where Mbappe and Harlan, they're going to be winning trophies no matter where they go. So um, in terms of his ability and his sort of potential to contribute at United... I still think, in terms of the talent we have at United, he's the most likely to potentially win a Ballon d'Or, definitely. 
Yeah, no, can't disagree there. But you know what? I think that you look at the trajectory of Mason, I think he can be up there with those two. Uh, all right, now on the comments, uh, we had Robert uh, saying Luke Shaw most improved, an obvious one there. His disappointment was no trophies. So he's taken it in terms of the season as opposed to a players, but I think that's fair enough. Um, The goal highlight, he says he says Cavani goal. I'm assuming he means against Fulham. That that was unreal. Um, And uh, his highlight was um, our away record. And bloody hell, we haven't mentioned it on this podcast. But yeah, that's definitely a highlight. I think only the fifth team in history to go um, away undefeated. So bloody hell, hell of a record. But you know, we're not Arsenal here, so we won't be celebrating it. Um, And then we also had on the um, on Facebook, we had George comment highlight of his season, the 2-1 win um, against PSG. And Tom, you, you did mention that earlier. Uh, disappointment of the season um, going out in the Champions League group stage. All right, George, I'm going to say you agree with me then the Leipzig game. Yep. Uh, most improved he said Luke Shaw so I think we've got um, most people agreeing with you there Tom and goal of the season Pogba against West Ham yeah that was a belt I bloody hell I nearly forgot that one but I think that's a good place to leave the podcast Um, Tom we said uh, it's going to be a short punchy one here we are 45 minutes in but it's been a pleasure Um, and if you are tuning in I hope it's been a fun season of course we will keep up with you and what we are trialing is we'll just be hopping on to spaces through Twitter so we we did it last night as a trial if you just want to instead of pumping out you know a load of podcasts when there's not a lot going on we thought let's go on spaces every now and then come interact with us it'll just be a live podcast almost you can just come and you can come have a say as well come have a chat um, and give us your views and your thoughts and whatever topic we might be discussing Tom, pleasure as always. Always, mate. Always a pleasure chatting to you. Always. No, mate, too kind. All right, and we'll leave it there. We'll catch you next week. If you are, you guys, you know the drill. If you're on Apple, make sure you give it a like. Give us five stars. Give us some positive feedback. And as as always, we appreciate your feedback too. Tom, pleasure, mate. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers.